I forgot to mention that I, or did I mention that I did Marketplace Radio today talking about the industry? Oh, nice. Yeah. And they have 7 million listeners, almost as many as our podcast. Almost. So it's pretty cool. That's funny. You know what's interesting, Paul, is that before we start, we always seem to have the interesting tidbit show up. You mean before we hit record? Before we hit record. So today we hit record ahead of time. We hit record. There we go. You can hear the coffee brewing, the birds chirping. Yes. Yes. How was your weekend, Mr. Dergabedian? It was really good. Really good weekend. I went and saw the new Neil Young. Well, not new, but in a documentary called Harvest Time. See, Mike, this is why we don't hit record before. No, by the, no, 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 Paul, that is part. I'm tongue-tied. That is, at, well, you're tongue-tied, but I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the topics I wanted to bring up today was event cinema and how much it's actually contributing to box office. Well, event cinema was very eventful this weekend, despite a very, very slow post-Thanksgiving weekend. Although, Mike, you gave me a great tidbit, a great Trivia question. By the way, if you're listening, you're listening to Ticket to Ride, an insider look at the business of Hollywood. I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore. And Mike, you are? Mike Polidoris, and I am the president, founder, and jack-of-all-trades at Paper Airplane Media. By the way, you have a great crew over there. I love everyone who works on your team. Very cool people over there, Amanda and Will and Maggie, who is the PowerPoint genius of all time. And I got to tell you, I'm very lucky to have been surrounded by people who actually make me look like I know what I'm doing. Well, that's what I'm here for, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. What was the tidbit? What was the tidbit I gave you? Well, there was a tidbit of information that Mike gave me because he was like, Paul, and this is a loaded question coming from Mike because he's already looked it up and I knew this, but I didn't know the answer. And it was, what was the biggest post-Thanksgiving opener? What movie? And what was the number? Which, by the way, is much lower than you would think for this movie, right, Mike? It is. It is. Well, the the interesting thing about all of this is, as we talk about post-Thanksgiving, that weekend normally is considered the worst weekend of the year from a movie-going standpoint, or at least from opening movies. I think there have been you know holdovers from Thanksgiving that have performed well over the course of the years. But opening a new movie, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy as... Over the course of time, the studios have begun to shy away from it because it is such a barren weekend. But I went back because I was curious. Violent Night was one of those fresh movies, had a fresh concept. You and I were talking about it last week, and it was like, well, what could this actually do? So I went back and I looked and I asked Paul, I said, I've looked back 25 years. What's the highest grossing film over the post-Thanksgiving weekend? Opener. Opener. I'm sorry, not grossing film, but opener. Paul, scratching his head, finally came back to me and said... Last Samurai, with a question mark. You are correct, sir. Ding, ding, ding. It's even more interesting when you look at it. So in 2003, Last Samurai opened up to $24.27 million. Same weekend... Honey opened up to 12.86. So you had $37 million of box office from new films, but that was back in 2003. Number two for that weekend, because I was curious, in 2001, Behind Enemy Lines opened up to $18.74 million. Interesting. And then the fourth highest grossing film, or the, I should say third highest, because Honey was 12.86, but the Third highest grossing film. Can you take a shot at this one, Paul? I'm not even going to try. More recent. More recent. More recent. 
Krampus in 16.3 did 2015. It was that Christmas slasher film. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And now we have the fourth highest grossing opener for this weekend, now with Violent Night. Yeah. Which checked in at right around... 13.3 million for the weekend, yeah. That now ends up being the fourth highest opener ever for a post-Thanksgiving weekend. Well, Mike, there's that silver lining for this weekend, which overall, all films generated about $53.1 million. That's for every film for the weekend, but there were a few gems in there, a few surprises. Like you were talking about event cinema. I saw the Harvest Time 50-year-old documentary about Neil Young and the recording of the album Harvest. It was really cool. I'll talk more about that later. But we also had a faith-based Fathom Events, I Heard the Bells. Is it Christmas now, Papa? Well, it's not Christmas until we hear the bells. That opened to $1.8 million over the weekend, $2.6 million since its debut last week. That's a big number, right, Mike? For a, It's a faith-based film. It's huge. It didn't play every showtime, right? It maybe played a couple times a day? Well, so Fathom's been on quite a run with these faith-based movies. The Chosen, which is still in the marketplace, is now up to $14.3 million, So it is going to surpass what last year's version of The Chosen did. I heard The Bells is actually $2.7 million after the weekend. Sunday was phenomenal. They were off just 15% or something like that. And today they've got another faith-based inspirational Johnny Cash biopic, a documentary. And early morning, that thing was leading the charge. So Fathom is kind of tapped into this faith market and are serving an underserved audience. They're doing a great job with it. And at the same time, they're now building a database of consumers that they can reach out to. They can let them know when the next projects are coming out. It's really a slice of business that has, as I said, has been underserved that they're now able to service. You go back, you know, Neil Young came from our friends over at Trafalgar and they have done just a great, great job when it comes to the music industry. Well, Trafalgar, they really are like you and I really into music and to have the Coldplay concert. I went and saw that in a movie theater a few weeks ago. And now to have the Harvest Time documentary is really cool. And they had 21 pilots over the summer, which went out and surprised everybody, did over a million dollars for one day. And of course, they had the BTS last spring, which just crushed it. I think it was close close to $40 million worldwide. So, you know, event cinema is becoming a, we talked about it last week, just to reiterate, is becoming much more an integral piece of the box office pie as we look ahead. Do you think this kind of, well, let's just tell it like it is, slower marketplace has given rise an opportunity to event cinema in a way that had there been, let's say, a holiday season of 2019 or 2018, if you had a Frozen 2 out there and a bunch of big movies, would this event cinema be able to rise into the ranks of the top five or 10 box office? Or is this a moment in time where they're really making their mark and then building that audience for the future? Look, they're doing both. I think that the current state of box office, and we keep talking about the lack of content going into this final stretch. You know, there were five wide releases in the calendar for December. That was it. I did hear from uh, one of my distribution friends over the weekend who was saying, I'm not sure I like your number of wide releases. We use a higher number. (laughs) To which point I'm like, it's arbitrary. We're using for the for the sake of what we're talking about, 2,000 is the location count. And Mike, we always give that parameter. That's yes. our 
look, you could look up over a thousand theaters, movies that opened in over 3,000, 2,000 seems to be that sweet spot. We could certainly look at all the different variables there. We could look at different number of opening theaters, but I think at 2,000, we're right there where we're kind of catching all the major films for sure. Yeah. And and when you look at the end of the day, I think if you count the five from December plus the 60s, I mean, you're looking at somewhere between 71, 72 total wide releases for all of this year, which it's down. I think I looked at it. I don't have the number in front of me, but 2019. We talk about this every week. We're down like 38 films. You know what though, Mike, I looked ahead to next year. And I want to get your take on some of these titles. I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't even tell you I was going to do this <laughs> until just now. But I was looking at the 2023 lineup and there looks to be some really cool films in the mix. I think we're going to have more orderly release schedule, more predictable in terms of the frequency of film releases. And I think that'll be good for the industry. But I mean, you've got Ant-Man and the Wasp 3, Oppenheimer, John Wick 4, Indiana Jones 5, which the trailer just dropped. We'll talk about that a little bit. Mission Impossible 7, Barbie, Wonka. I mean, there's just a lot of film out there for next year. Do you agree? And you can disagree with me that momentum comes and goes, right? For the industry. Well, and it's always been that way. It's a business of ebbs and flows, as they say, or as you said last week, it's cycles. Right now, we're in a bit of a, a down cycle. We're in a, a little bit of a valley, but as you point out these titles, there's a lot of optimism going forward. You know, Wick 4, a franchise that's near and dear to my heart, that looks like that's just going to be a monster. Yeah. You know, I would not be surprised. Some of the people I've talked to who have done a little bit of customer research, that is the title in the spring with the highest want to see. And that includes the Marvel titles and everything like that. So, Well, Mike, can I tell you, it is for me because I've been a John Wick fan forever. As I always say, any guy who gets revenge on people who hurt or kill your dog, I'm all in on that. Plus, he drives really cool cars and he's a badass and I love Keanu Reeves. The Halle Berry was in the last John Wick, it was so good. That's at the top of my list. That's one of the coolest. But Mission Impossible 7, Indiana Jones, it feels positively like the good old days when you have titles like that out. Well, the Indiana Jones trailer dropped last week. And for me, as an old fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first scene where Sala is back, at that point, I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. James Mangold coming in to uh, now direct the series. So we'll see how that adds some fresh eyes onto the storytelling. James Mangold, by the way, if I can digress for a moment, one of the coolest directors, a director who you never can put your finger on, that's a James Mangold movie because they're all so different. But there's always that theme of intensity, Ford versus Ferrari, Copland, Logan. I mean, this is a great director. Well, my favorites was 310 to Yuma. I worked on that film and I remember they showed us a, it's like a 10 minute sizzle reel that we were going to show at CinemaCon or I think Show West as it was called then. We sat there, we watched the 10 minutes and we all were like, we want to see the rest of the movie, like right now. That was how good it was. 310 to Yuma ranks in my all-time top Westerns and top movies. I think Ben Foster steals the movie. He's absolutely fantastic in that movie. Right? And Good Company with Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. What a great movie. I think that Mangold, hopefully not too many constraints by the studio. I know when it comes to movies like this, big franchises, the producers obviously have a lot of control, but you're certainly in good hands with James Mangold. So that gives me a lot of hope that the movie will be really 
really good. But we'll wait and see. That brand is enough to get people in the theater. I think we could have a summer movie season in 23 that could rival this year in terms of the depth and breadth of blockbusters. That's good good news for theaters. Well, and that's great looking ahead. But before we jump ahead to, you know, the next few weeks and on into next year, a couple of notes on this weekend. You know, you mentioned it was just around 53 million was the total box office, almost identical to 2021 is what it ended up being. And it started on Friday afternoon, you and I were texting and I said, Based on the early morning grosses, it looks like it's going to be a tough slog this weekend, and we might actually come in behind 2021. Friday was a little soft, and then lo and behold, I don't know what happened, but the Saturday numbers up and down the top 10 really popped. Violent Night on Friday was tracking to be right around 10 or 11 million, and it's 2.3 million more. But when you think about that, that's a 20% increase on where it looked like it was heading earlier in the weekend. You're right. Friday, it did 4.88 million, and then Saturday, 5.33 million. And remember, the Friday gross included 1.1 from Thursday. So, you know, when you actually look at what happened, you know, on the apples to apples numbers Friday to Saturday, it was up something like 37%, which is, you know, that's a big number, especially for a horror action film. Time for some season's beatings. I was kind of bummed out when you were telling me that it would only do like 10 or 11, because that's what it looked like. And I was very heartened to see that it came in higher because like you said, it popped on on Saturday with a really solid growth. So that's good. Well, and, and part of that was when all the audience reactions came out later in the day. So it got a B plus cinema score for a film in this genre. Like we talked about last week, and I, I do want to bring up Strange World a little bit. When we talked about Strange World getting a B cinema score, and that was, you know, not great. Mm-hmm. Looking at a B yep. plus for kind of this mashup of a thriller, Home Alone, you know, Santa Claus type of film. That's a great score, which means that it's going to have great playability. Now, it has a kind of a pass this weekend. We don't have any wide releases coming out into the marketplace. We have a couple of expansions. It's kind of a straight runway for Violent Night this week. Another thing I did want to bring up, we're talking about Strange World. The other Disney film that's in the marketplace which is through their searchlight label right now, the menu. Here we are family. Yes, we harvest, we ferment, we gel. They gel. We gel. It's interesting. The menu and Strange World are very close as far as gross right now. As of what was reported yesterday, they're off by about 800 grand. Isn't that amazing? It would not surprise me by the time the theatrical runs are done that the menu would outgrow Strange World. And that is a strange world. (laughs) You make a great point there, Mike. When you look at those grosses, you're right. They're within, if you had asked anyone six months ago, a year ago, there's going to be a Disney animated film at Thanksgiving, and there's going to be a film called The Menu from Searchlight, which is actually a well-reviewed dark comedy. Which one would win at the end of the day, for lack of a better term? And I think you're right. I think the menu is just going to have that consistency. It's really, I mean, it did drop a bit this, well, no, actually, I take that back. Strange World dropped 60% its second weekend. The menu dropped 35% in its third weekend. So it's holding in there. And of all the movies aimed at more mature audiences, that seems to be the one that keeps resonating, even though other films aimed at that audience have just dropped down the chart. 
So it's been a tough go for films aimed at adults. Yeah. And the menu is benefiting from that great word of mouth. People are talking about, have you seen the menu? Have you seen the menu? And you can see it. So a 35% drop, and it should be pointed out, that's a 35% drop off a holiday weekend. That's right. You had it inflated Friday gross. So that means that movie is rock solid. So again, don't be surprised at the end of the day if the menu ends up outgrossing Strange World. Other films aimed at, let's say, people over 30, 40, 50, like the menu, are not doing well. Is it because the menu's fun and escapist and has an easy-to-describe plot, whereas some of these other films like She Said and others, and even Tar, which has gotten some of the best reviews of any film this year, is it 5.2 million? The Fablemans, through this weekend, at 5.6 million, will that movie even get to $10 million? It's really sad in a way because there's so many great movies out there, but not all of them are resonating. Certainly the menu, though, of that type of film aimed at more sophisticated, as we say, audiences or, or more mature audiences is doing well, but the others are not. Is it escapism that people are looking for? Without seeing the research, you would have to say yes. You would have to say something like she said, tar. These are very heavy subject matters. You have to be in a certain mindset when you're going into the theater. Something like the menu is fun. Everyone's telling you, you have to see it. There's a great twist. The performances are great. A little similar to over the summer when we had everything everywhere all at once, which everybody came say, oh, you got to see it's so different. So I think to your point, that older audience is looking for something that's more engaging, something a little different, something that they can come out of and everybody's having fun. But it's also becoming a little bit of that water cooler talk or I don't know what you call a water cooler in the Internet age, but the virtual water cooler. Yes, it, it is doing that, but it's it's just fun to see. And Mike, Ticket to Paradise, number 10 in its seventh weekend. It's been out almost two months, and Ticket to Paradise still a top 10 movie. And, you know, there's $66 million all in. I mean, that thing probably tops out. It's probably got another million bucks in it or so. But, you know, a very solid performance. And then one other one we should talk about from the weekend, Paul, which is kind of fun, and that is uh, Top Gun came by to make a flyby right before it heads to Paramount Plus. <laughs> you were just waiting all week to say that. You, you know what? It's a very punny day. Uh, <laughs> here we are, Top Gun Maverick, 28 weeks after release. It's still not on the streaming platform. It's scheduled to debut in two weeks. The 22nd of December is when it's going to finally be on Paramount Plus. So a good old-fashioned theatrical window into the EST window into the streaming window. You can't argue with it. You know, you're looking at whatever it is, $717 million of box office, um, a big win. And I think, too, for Mission Impossible 7, I think this is the perfect tee up. I mean, for Tom Cruise and his team, what a great win for them. But you're right, still in theaters, not quite on the streaming platform. I mean, it's been available on, let's say, Apple, and you can buy it, and you can rent it. But to be on Paramount Plus, they've waited, I think they've waited the appropriate amount of time. 
28 weeks, pretty good. Real testament to that movie and how much people love seeing that movie in a theater still. And before we start talking about next year, we should probably look ahead a couple of weeks. The big dog on deck right now is Avatar Way of the Water. And again, the information starting to trickle in on it. Pre-release projections, depending on who you talk to, have the movie somewhere around opening to $175 million or so, which would be fantastic. That is domestic. Yeah, I've been hearing 180 to 200, but who's counting? I think we should be happy with any number. And by the way, James Cameron's films, he doesn't have that many, actually. He waits a while to put out his movies and not known for big blockbuster openings, but long-term playability. Well, here's another interesting tidbit. So a format that has gone fairly dormant over the last couple of years, the 3D format is going to be making a big comeback with way of the water. Yeah. As everybody recalls, Avatar probably was to date the best use of the 3D format in cinema that we've ever seen. So it's no surprise that Way of the Water is leaning into it as well. Mike, I have to disagree with you. I think the creature from the Black Lagoon <laughs> was the finest use of, of 3D uh, ever in cinema. I'm only half joking. Here's an interesting fact. Of the tickets that have been sold to date, Nearly three quarters of them are in the 3D format, from what I understand. And that Disney is leaning very heavily into this, but leaning into it because the public is very interested in it. So another tidbit I heard was that this film will be setting a record for the number of formats that and versions that it actually will be mastered in as it goes theatrically. Interesting. And playing in China, as we've talked yep. about is going to help. But a bit of trivia for you, Mike. So James Cameron, has he ever had a movie open to over $100 million domestically? I think the answer is no to that. Yeah, the answer is no. The highest grossing debut for James Cameron, December 18, 2009, the first Avatar opened to $77 million, had what we call long-term playability, and had a 10 times multiple for a movie that opened in 3,452 theaters, according to our ComScore data. That's insane. By the way, though, very similar to the play of Titanic. I'm so glad you brought... Mike, you're just teeing <laughs> these up beautifully for me. So Titanic opened also in mid-December of 97, whereas Avatar opened in mid-December of 2009. Titanic opened to 26.6 million, went on to earn 21 times, and this was not a limited release. It opened in 2,674 theaters. So for Titanic, that film opened modestly, to say the least, 28.6 million, went on to earn uh, $601 million domestically and $1.8 billion worldwide. But on the domestic front, a 21 times multiple of opening weekend for Titanic. So the way of water opens to 170 million. Given Cameron's track record, we're going to be looking at a really strong multiple if history repeats itself. History has a very good chance of maybe not repeating itself to a, a 22 or a 10 times. Well, yeah, 21 times but multiple. As that's incredible. Now let's talk about looking ahead to 2023 a little bit. Yeah, let's look ahead. January is a little thin. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue a little bit of the ups and downs that we've seen. The runway is pretty good for if the movie delivers, and there's no reason to think it won't, that there is some playability ahead of it. There's not like there's a huge tentpole that's in its way. You're right. They do have a very wide open runway, as you say. And, you know, of course, Babylon's going to open on the 23rd. Puss in Boots, 
Uh, my colleague Eric Marti in France is telling me previews are off the charts for Puss in Boots in France. We talked about Puss in Boots last week. I still stick by it that the family audience has been underserved. Somebody was asking me, like, but we had Strange World and we had Lyle, Lyle the Crocodile. And I said... <laughs> Yeah, but it's been a long time since we've had talking animals. That's what we need. You know, we the, need more talking animals. When you look at it, though, there's some really fun stuff that's coming up in January that is also on the calendar. And a look ahead a little bit. I'm very excited for the future movies because, Mike, quite frankly, having a weekend that generates $53 million, we may find tidbits and fun in there and interesting anecdotes and various bits of data but for the general press, I mean, luckily, I was able to talk to Marketplace Radio this morning just about the overall business. But over the weekend, when things are slow, the press coverage just doesn't erupt the way it will, certainly with Avatar, when that film opens. Unfortunately, I'm looking ahead at this coming weekend, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is the quietest weekend of 2022 that we see. Mike, I hate quiet weekends. Come on, people. Let's get some big movies back in there. I can't take it. I can't take it. It's coming back, though, Mike. It's coming back. And that 23 schedule looks really cool to me. And we will be there, Mike Polydorus, president of Paper Air Media. Paper Airplane. And Paper Airplane. <laughs> Paper Airplane Media. Why do I keep getting that wrong, Mike? You know what? Everybody gets it. We have been called everything from Paper Air, Paper Planes. <laughs> Paper airplanes, you name it. At least you have the hangar. We have a hangar because every paper airplane needs a hangar. Will came up with that one. Call us whatever you want. We just love working on the movie. Well, we, we appreciate that, Mike. And I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for ComScore. And every week we will be breaking down the box office in various goings on in entertainment. Real quick, Mike, before we go, I went and saw Harvest Time and we talked about this at the top. Neil Young documentary. A lot of bits and pieces in there kind of thrown together. Hadn't been released in 50 years. And the theater, my local Sinopolis, was sold out for both shows. There was a Thursday show and a Sunday show. Event Cinema is alive and well. Thank you, Trafalgar and Fathom for that. But Trafalgar with the music, with Harvest Time, with Neil Young, just a great documentary. Fantastic. And as we've said, the event cinema business and, you know, let's not, we've mentioned it before, but, you know, also our friends at Iconic, they came up with Terrifier 2, which chipped in at almost $11 million in a much needed period. So we've talked about it and it's true that the content is coming from many different places and it's all about bringing people back to the theaters. And we're going to bring you more content here on Ticket to Ride, an insider look at the business of Hollywood. Thank you, Mike Polydors, for being here. I'm Paul DeGarabedian, and we will see you and you will hear us next time. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Paul.